See, that's what the fear of the Lord is. That's what we're getting at when we say that phrase, the fear of the Lord. It's not as much terror as it is an affectionate reverence. I desire to please him and not to grieve him. You're listening to a special message preached at Shoreline Church. For more audio or theological content, or to learn more about Jesus, visit thisisshoreline.com. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this opportunity to open it together. We ask, Lord, that you would instruct us in the way that we should go. Lord, that you would encourage and equip your people this morning. Lord, as the disciples said, where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. So, Lord, we thank you that your word is life to those who find it. We ask that you would instruct us today and that you would this morning bring back maybe some who are on the precipice of death that you would allow us to understand wisdom this morning. Bless this time of study for your glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. It seems like no matter how hard you try, you can't escape advertisements. What I mean is if you have one of those streaming services where you listen to music or you watch movies or television, they often have a free version or the lower price tier plan where in the middle of your song, in the middle of your playlist, in the middle of your show, they just interrupt you with an advertiser with some company telling you why you need their product now. I remember my first trip to Honduras in the 90s. I was a youngster, and we went on a missions trip to this remote village where my grandparents uh, were living and installing fresh water wells for the indigenous people there, as well as planting churches. And I had this privilege to join them on the first of probably seven trips in my lifetime. But we found on our very first trip, we're in the middle of this remote village. People are actually wearing loincloths. We're that far removed. We're miles from civilization, even miles from electricity. And I kid you not, we go up to one of these primitive huts, and on the outside of it was a sign for (laughs) Coca-Cola. It's just, you can't even go to a third world country without being exposed to advertisements. Now, as we continue our short study, this three-week study, which is really a primer in the book of Proverbs, this morning, likewise, we're going to see two invitations. We're going to see two advertisements to come and partake of what two very different people have to offer. As we just read and what we're about to study, two women are calling out from a high place. Both of them have something to offer. But as we'll learn together, one's invitation leads to life and the other's to death. It's my prayer as we open up this series in just three studies in Proverbs that we seek the Lord for wisdom for not only our own lives, but for our growing congregation. Next week, if you didn't hear, we're having our Vision Sunday where we're going to do a brief synopsis of this last year and a very big announcement of what's coming in this next year, 2023. And last week, as we began the book of Proverbs, we looked at just nine verses in chapter one, and we got an overview of the book of Proverbs and saw what the foundation of wisdom really is. It is the fear of the Lord. We looked last week at how the fear of the Lord is a reverent awe, it's a respect, it's a deference, and it's a posture of gratitude and humility before our great and awesome God, who the scriptures declare is just and mighty and holy and glorious. 
So this morning, as we look at Proverbs chapter 9, this is, remember, the end chapter of those nine-chapter introduction. And we're going to see in this text wisdom personified as an industrious woman who invites the simple to join her for a feast. But we're also going to see another woman. This is a loud, obnoxious simpleton. And she also invites men to join her in what promises to be a meal, but it's actually an invite to their own funeral. So if you're taking notes, we're going to break this chapter down a little bit differently than how it was written. We're going to go a little bit out of order, and you'll see why. We're going to first look at Lady Wisdom in verses 1 through 6. Then we're going to skip down to verse 13 and see Madam Folly. And then we're going to go back. So we skip verses 7 through 12 on purpose because we're going to go back and see that there is a question here, who will you heed? We're going to see there's two different types of responses. Now, as we study this and last week and the following week, as we study these Proverbs, it's my desire that we learn how to walk carefully and craftily as God's people. Because as those who were once in Adam, you and I are still residing in bodies that are corrupted by sinful flesh. Folly, therefore, will always be self-promoting. And as people on this side of truth and wisdom, you and I must purposely choose to walk in wisdom and the fear of the Lord. I wish that the moment I got saved, this body of sin was done with and I never struggled with my sin anymore, don't you? I wish that was the case, but sadly it isn't. So now that we're in Christ, you and I will constantly be bombarded with an invitation to wisdom or an invitation to folly? And the question is, which one will we heed? Well, this morning, let's begin by looking and listening to Lady Wisdom, verse 1. It says, Wisdom has built her house. She's honed her seven pillars. She's slaughtered her beast. She's mixed her wine. She's also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Now, if you're taking notes, observe with me the first of four attributes about wisdom in these verses. The first that we see is that wisdom is stable. Notice that she's built her house with a strong foundation. It's a foundation of seven pillars. But we realize this foundation existed far before her invitation went out. In fact, it goes even beyond and before the creation of the world. Look with me if you have your Bibles in front of you. Just back one chapter. If you have it on your phone, swipe left. Look with me at Proverbs chapter 8, starting in verse 22. This is wisdom speaking. Wisdom says, The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago I was set up at the first, before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth when there were no springs abounding with water. Before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields or the first of the dust of the world. Verse 27 says, When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep. When he made firm the skies above. When he established the fountains of the deep. When he assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters might not transgress his command. When he marked out the foundations of the earth, verse 30 says, Then I was beside him 
like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. Wow, wisdom existed before the foundation of the world. Back in chapter 9, verse 1, wisdom says that she has built this house that is solid, it's secure, it's stable. This is no tenement shack. This isn't a tent that you and I went camping to set up and could easily be toppled by the wind. No, this is a home that has been carefully constructed. The New Bible Commentary says, quote, it is no self-denying offer she makes. The food is rich, the wine is good, and the setting is splendid, end quote. You see, she's offering a meal, and we can pretty much quickly figure out this meal was not microwaved. The beasts had to be raised from birth. They had to be slaughtered and then prepared and cooked. And none of us have vineyards, I don't think, but do you know how long it takes to ferment grapes and to prepare good wine? It takes years. And now we can only guess at what the seven pillars represent. Seven in the scriptures, of course, is the number of completeness or fullness. So this is a structure that is not temporary. It's not movable. And some have suggested the seven pillars may be what James refers to in what has to be the New Testament corresponding book of Proverbs in the Old, the book of James, is about wisdom. And James says in James 3.17 that wisdom from above, there is an earthly wisdom, but then there's a wisdom from above, he says, is marked by seven things. Purity, peace, gentleness, reason, mercy, impartiality, and sincerity. So in addition to all these things, not only does she have a firm foundation, she has a beautiful feast she's prepared. It's taken time. But notice in verse 3, she also has companions. It says she sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. You see, wisdom is not isolated or alone. Thus, wisdom is stable. By inference, we can then deduce that if you lack wisdom, by definition, you will be marked by instability. You'll be unsteady and unsound if you're not wise. So that's the first thing we know. The second is that wisdom has much to offer. Notice with me, she not only has a firm foundation, but she also has prepared a meal. And this meal looks amazing. Notice that she's prepared her beasts. Does this include filet mignon? I'm in. Is, is this Chateaubriand? Let's go. She's mixed wine. So this isn't just tea or water, she has prepared a beverage that's mixed with spices. Just consider the expense that this meal represents. This is free to eat, but it certainly wasn't free to make. It costs something. Notice that she set her table. In other words, there's a seat prepared for the simple. And this sort of extravagance would not be offered to anyone, to everyone. And yet, wisdom invites people who have no discernment to come and to feast, to enjoy this glorious meal. That's undeserved. Wisdom that comes to the simple far outweighs someone's status, stature, or age. That's why I've often seen God using young people, or people who are poor, or people who lack prominence or standing, because in what they lack in worldly categories, they more than make up with in the fear of the Lord and in seeking to be wise. So wisdom has much to offer the person who comes to her table. Not only that, she's stable, she has much to offer. Thirdly, wisdom invites us to repentance and obedience. Look at verses 4 through 6. She says, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. 
To him who lacks sense, she says, come, eat of my bread, drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. You see the repentance here? Repentance is a turning. In the same way you're turning away from sin, in that one act you're also turning to the fear of the Lord. So you turn away from folly and ignorance, and you turn into sitting with wisdom. In verse 6, Lady Wisdom says, leave your simple ways. In other words, leave, move away from the lifestyle that you've been walking in. Come and walk in a new way, the way of insight. We could argue that wisdom is an evangelist. She is broadcasting the invitation to life in such a way that all may hear. And this is not an exclusive club for the elite. No, this is an invite that's open to all. One commentator said this, quote, she has personally gone out into the city streets and squares where men and women buy and sell their merchandise to the gates where the elders hear the lawsuits of their neighbors and conduct the city's business and even to the very heights of the Acropolis where the city makes its last ditch defense. Wisdom then is offering herself to everyone. Wisdom is not hidden in guru caves on remote mountaintops. She's not the mysterious consort of Gnostic Illuminati, end quote. In other words, the invite is for you and for me. But see, there's one more important point about wisdom. Number four, wisdom leads to life. We'll look at this more next week, but Proverbs 3.18 says wisdom is a tree of life. Now, I don't know if you were here for our last study last week, but last week when we talked through how to study the Proverbs, we made the important point that Proverbs themselves are general principles, but they're not promises. They are principles that show us how to be successful in God's world the way he defines success, not in the way the world defines success, but in the way God does. These are principles, not promises. So in general, walking in wisdom is a is an invitation to walk in life. It's an invitation to extend your life, to flourish, to even prolong your days. Now, there's exceptions to that, but in general, if you walk in wisdom, that might actually save your life. You might actually live longer. Now, for example, at some point in all of our childhood, someone, maybe it was our dad, our mom, our grandfather, our older brother, an uncle, someone told us that if you stick your knife in an electric socket, it is neither helpful nor beneficial. Someone told us that. Or maybe you found out the hard way. You were the three-year-old that did it. So by learning that little piece of wisdom, that little nugget, that extended your life a few more hours. Here's another example. In Proverbs chapter 7, there is a pictorial story of a fool who is really stupidly walking down the road where a seductress invites him to sneak away and commit adultery with her. Now, earlier in Proverbs, in chapter 5, wisdom had said, here's what to do in that moment. You have to have guidance and purpose ahead of time what you will do. So think through, if you're ever in that situation where you're at a restaurant or you're on a business trip or you find yourself being talked to by someone who's seeming to be into you and alluring to you, Proverbs 5 tells us what to do ahead of time so that you're not caught going, what do I do? And Proverbs 5 says, drink water from your own cistern. When water is used in the Proverbs, almost always it's referring to the marriage bed or to the marriage or to sexual expression. So when Proverbs 5 says, drink water from your own well on your own property, 
It means be satisfied in your marriage bed and don't look elsewhere for a drink. So the man in chapter 7 who is lured away as he's walking to go and commit adultery with that woman is not walking in wisdom. That's pretty clear. But he has no idea what disaster awaits him. Ultimately, what can happen is his life can be shortened by her jealous husband. His wife could be shortened by his angry wife. Or his life could be shortened by the Lord himself in judgment. But in a general principle, following wisdom, listening to wisdom, will lead you to life. It'll lead you away from foolishness that could take your life. Now, of course, there are exceptions to that. Ecclesiastes and the book of Job give us the exceptions. But in general, wisdom comes and invites you to life. Now, this invitation of Lady Wisdom is very, very similar to the invitation God gives Israel through the prophet Isaiah. Listen to these words from Isaiah 55, 1 through 3. God says to Israel, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. That doesn't mean it's without cost. It certainly costs something, but it's of no price to you. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. You see, God to Israel through Isaiah is giving a free invite, but it, it wasn't free. It's not cheap. It's costly. It's an open invite, but most of Israel will ignore it. It's an invite to live, to life. And that's what Lady Wisdom is calling. It's beckoning to you this morning. Come and live. Seek life that you may live. But see, in our text, there's another woman. There's another woman sending out an invitation. So let's skip down to verse 13 and hear what Madam Folly has to say. We're calling her Madam Folly. Verse 13, the woman Folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by who are going straight on their way. Now, if you would with me, let's jot down a few observations about folly. And folly is just another way of saying foolishness or being foolish. Okay? So the first thing we note is that folly is the antithesis of the fear of the Lord. Notice with me that she takes her place, takes a seat on the high places. Now, the high places were generally where the pagan gods had sanctuaries. So thus, she's inviting people to, so to speak, commit spiritual adultery with the living God, against the living God. She's enticing the faithful to turn aside from the straight paths of obedience and faith to come and worship her instead. Remember, as we learned last week, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and thus folly is the opposite of that. It's the antithesis of that. I like what Warren Wearsby says about the fear of the Lord. Quote, the fear of the Lord is the affectionate reverence by which the child of God bends himself humbly and carefully to his father's law. His wrath is so bitter and his love so sweet that hence springs an earnest desire to please him. And because of the danger of coming short from his own weakness and temptations, 
a holy watchfulness and fear that he might not sin against him, end quote. You see, that's what the fear of the Lord is. That's what we're getting at when we say that phrase, the fear of the Lord. It's not as much terror as it, as it is an affectionate reverence. I desire to please him and not to grieve him. I desire to be closer to the Lord, not to have my sins separate me from him. Folly, however, has no fear of God before her eyes. But the second thing we can observe here is number two, folly is clamorous, gullible, ignorant, and lazy. Notice that it says in the verse 13, the woman folly is loud, meaning she makes a lot of noise. Proverbs 7.11 describes folly as loud and wayward. Sometimes sin whispers, but most of the time it shouts. And have you observed, usually when someone has an argument that's not persuasive, they resort to yelling? Have you observed that? Maybe in your marriage, you realize, I'm losing the fight. I'm losing the argument. So your only recourse, your only solution is just to elevate your voice, to raise your voice. And of course, I would counsel you against that in your marriage. If you are raising your voice, you need a gut check this morning. You need to stand before the Lord and repent of that. And I've been guilty of that as well. But mostly my wife is guilty of that. <laughs> I'm in trouble now. So, <clears throat> see, that's folly's only tactic. There's no reason... It's not reasonable. And so when there's no reason in the argument, you just get a little bit louder. And so sadly, you turn away from the fear of the Lord and folly. But with enough volume, sometimes people are misguided. So verse 13 says she's not only loud, but she's seductive. Now the Hebrew word here could better be translated simple. In other words, she's a simpleton. She's gullible. She knows, he says, nothing. She's spurned wisdom, so now she's an uninformed fool. Now, here's again. Why is it true that people who have nothing to say are always the people who go on to say something? Have you noticed that? You're like, you, have, you are not an expert in this area at all, but let's hear what you have to say, of course. Observe with me as well that Folly sits lazily at the door of her house, and she just lays there yelling. She hasn't been diligent to prepare her own meal. No, she's inviting you to come and steal someone else's food. And sadly, folly produces in her followers the same attributes that she exhibits. Notice on the screen, this is what happens to you if you follow folly. You become clamorous, gullible, ignorant, and lazy. Folly produces the same qualities in those she entraps. Not only this, but thirdly, folly, notice with me, desires to master those who are undiscerning. Did you catch that her invitation in verse 16 is identical to Lady Wisdom's? Look at verse 16. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. Now look back up at verse 4. It's exactly the same. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. You see, the best candidates for both of these invite lists are those who are simple. Now we learned this last week. Simple is a special category of person. And this person who's simple lacks discernment. We would say it this way. They have such an open mind that their brains are liable to fall out. You've heard this person. They go, oh, I've never heard of that doctrine before. Oh, this is interesting. Maybe Christianity can be defined this way. Let me follow my heart, which is a horrible thing to do because the scripture says your heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Who can know it? So ladies, men, don't follow your heart. But the simple is someone who is like, oh, I don't really have discernment or wisdom. I don't know what I don't know, so I'm open to hearing 
either side. Now, the scripture says folly is bound up in the heart of a child, the heart of a simple person, but the rod of correction and discipline will drive it from you. And so it's very clear that someone who is simple is often someone who's not yet learned truth. It may be a child. Now, when we think about this, wisdom and folly are both inviting those people who have not yet learned to come and to heed. And see, that's why I am very concerned that we as parents are involved in every aspect of training up our children, that we don't sub out our kids' education just to the private school and we be very prayerful about the public school. We have to be very careful because they're being indoctrinated. They're going to be indoctrinated with or without us. And see, that's the thing. If we are not to train up our children in the way they should go, someone's going to do it. So if we feel like kids ministry next door, it's their job to educate my kids in Christ. And I'm just kind of subbing that out to them. Well, you've missed the whole purpose of why we have kids ministry here. The kids ministry here is to supplement your involvement, your role as a parent. And we're here just to come alongside and, and be a blessing to you as we study God's word here in the service and as they study God's word there. But it's certainly not a replacement for the work that you're doing in your homes as you have family worship, as you catechize your kids. We don't like that word catechize. That sounds a little Catholic. The word just simply means to train up, to educate, to teach. And it's on us to do that because why? If we won't do that, someone will. Someone will indoctrinate them. This week I read in the news that uh, in about a week coming up, St. Pete, downtown St. Pete, the city just up the road from us, is hoping to land a spot in the Guinness Book of World Records. They want to have in the city of St. Petersburg the largest attendance ever for drag queen story time. In other words, this is their desire, the largest attendance for men cross-dressing as women to read books to infants and children. That's called indoctrination, isn't it? And so there's actually a movement of pastors who are combating this, and they're doing pastor story hour. And so me and some other friends here locally have been prayerfully thinking about this, and I actually emailed the Manatee County Library this week, and they said, no, you cannot do pastor story hour in Manatee County. They said, we're good, we have the volunteers. Then they said, but your church can sponsor an event, and then you can do pastor story hour. And I said, okay, let me know, and so we're going to do this. We're going to have this happen. Love to see our moms come out, and uh, we'll train our children. But see, the idea is you want to get them early. You want to get them young because they're simple, and they can't discern either way. So folly desires to master the simple. Well, finally, number four, folly emphasizes the pleasure while downplaying the consequences. Look at verse 17. Notice what she says. This is her real only speech. Stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Again, here's a reference to water, stolen water. We said earlier that's often a reference to sex. Madam Folly is trying to appeal to the sinful flesh of this man, and it's not just men, it's men and women, but she's trying to appeal to the sinful flesh by highlighting the thrill of something that is sexually illicit. So she's trying to accentuate the excitement of having something that you are not allowed to or are not supposed to have. You and I grew up, we knew that it's what you're not allowed to have that seems to be more enticing. Mom says, eat your vegetables, don't touch the cookies. 
And what are you thinking about the entire meal? <laughs> it's not the vegetables. And so she's seeking, folly seeking to entice the flesh to come and eat this meal in secret. Enjoy what's prohibited. Doesn't it taste great? And see, all of this echoes the lie, the false promise of the serpent in the garden. Genesis chapter 3, you know it well. The serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. You will not surely die. This is an outright lie. Yes, your eyes will be open. You will be able to know good and evil. But this meal is a meal of death. To eat of this fruit is to commit spiritual suicide. You see, unlike wisdom, folly is not inviting someone to eat and have life and growth and help. No, she's inviting them to their own funeral meal. Verse 18 says that the guest list is the dead. So this stolen water that seems to be sweet, it will cost you everything, including your life. That bread, it may taste pleasant, but it's poison. You see, whenever <clears throat> you and I are tempted to sin, what happens is we invariably become nearsighted or myopic. So we only see what is pleasurable right in front of our eyes, and we fail to see the disastrous consequences that lay beyond our sin. The little white lie that helps save face in the moment, will yield far deeper consequences than if we just told the truth. The lust that promises to bring you freedom and joy, ironically, will rob you of both. Yes, going on the spending spree, it does release endorphins, but the exponential credit card debt will crush you. You may get a little bit of selfishness in marriage that will profit you for a few seconds, but we all know it will devastate and divide in the end. So we have in front of us these two opposing ways of living personified as women inviting us to listen and learn. Both of them cry out for the simple to turn to them. Both of them offer people a meal of bread and beverage. But wisdom offers her own food, whereas folly offers someone else's. Wisdom has support around her, whereas folly is isolated. Wisdom builds her house where folly just sits lazily at the door. Wisdom knows much, but folly knows nothing. And wisdom promises life, but folly will take it away. And so the section in between these two is a little bit hard to navigate and it's hard to interpret. But I want us to look at this section as a third section and ask a question from verses 7 through 12. And the question is, who will you heed? Which one of these will you listen to? Notice with me the two responses to wisdom in verses 7 through 9. Verse 7 says, whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Verse 9 says, give instruction to a wise man and he will be wise, uh, still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. Now, real quick, we have a, now a new category, the scoffer and the wicked man. 
And these are different than the simple. So the scoffer or wicked man is someone who absolutely chides the way of wisdom. They chide the fear of the Lord. Now, often the scoffer will express this through words and the wicked man through action, not exclusively, but often. And so when wisdom comes along and is presented to the scoffer, the wicked man, these fools fight against it. And then they also fight against you, the person who's bringing wisdom. Have you ever experienced this? I know some of you have. You've gone to someone in Christ, a believer, or someone who is not in Christ, an unbeliever, and you've brought to them what is great wisdom, which leads to life. You've come to them and said, brother or sister or friend, I've got to share this with you. Now, I'm doing this with a lot of prayer. I'm doing this with humility. I'm looking at my own sin. I'm considering myself, Galatians 6. And yet, as I'm coming to you to share this with you, I'm not in a better place than you. I'm not a higher, more pious person. I'm just a person with truth. And I'm coming to share with you that what you're doing, the decision you're making, is going to lead to destruction. It's going to not lead to life. And so choose life, choose wisdom. And then that person, in turn, reviles against you. That now you're an enemy, now you're hated because you came and brought light. Has that ever happened to you? You don't have to raise your hand. That happened to me uh, on one occasion when I was just beginning to pastor our first church. Um, I was called up one evening by a member in our church. It was a lady in her late 20s. And she was married to this ridiculously ripped bodybuilder husband, just this massive guy. And he just decided on a random Thursday, I'm tired of being married. I'm going to leave you and pursue my career and move out of state. And so he's packing up his belongings, throwing everything he can quickly throw into a bag to run out the door. And so she's calling me, weeping, whispering from the bathroom. And she says to me, Pastor, please intervene. And so I did what any pastor who is wet behind the ears would do. I got in the car, I drove straight there, and I pounded on the door demanding that this large man come out and face me like a man. <laughs> Looking back, that probably was not the wisest decision, but it was certainly a bold one. What ended up happening is he never came outside. He kept peeking through the blinds and texting me, leave. And so I said, okay, and I sat on his hood and I waited for him to come out. I'm not leaving until you come out. Well, after hours and hours and hours, at a certain point, I realized he's being a fool. He's not going to repent, even though I'm calling him to repentance. I'm saying, bro, you need to honor your marriage covenant. Let's talk through this. I'm here to help. Let's walk through this together. At a certain point, late into the night, uh, I ended up leaving. Within five minutes, he got in his car, and he left his wife, never came back. Now, Jen and I met with, he, or with his wife for many weeks after this, and sadly, we heard that he was angry with me for coming to try to speak wisdom to him. And maybe that's happened to you. You're coming to bring wisdom and you're coming to share that and yet scoffers abuse and hate when they're corrected. They injure others when they're reproved. But on the flip side, notice, this verse also explains that wise men will express love and gratitude and growth as they learned and are disciplined. That's what we long to see. If, if you're rescuing someone from death, and foolishness and folly in the congregation. What we should have is a holy hug. Thank you for pulling me back from folly. Verse 10 brings us back to the foundation of wisdom. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is insight. We looked at that last week. Next week, we'll talk more about the value of wisdom in chapters three and four. I encourage you to read ahead. We'll see how wisdom is valuable. But notice just a teaser of that in verses 11 and 12. 
He says, for by me, your days will be multiplied and years will be added to your life. You see, when we accept wisdom's invitation, we've now submitted our lives to the creator, to Yahweh, and we begin to grow in our knowledge of him. And the result is that years may be added to our life. Verse 12 says, if you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. Now, this may be the hardest verse to interpret in this chapter, but the way I read this is, in other words, wisdom will directly bless the individual who receives it, whereas the fool who scoffs at wisdom, well, they can't blame anyone else for the heap of trouble that they're in. If you're going to be a scoffer, you will bear the consequence. If you are wise, you will also bear the blessing. The question this morning for you and for me is who will you heed? You see, the reality is, as I say often, mankind is not neutral. We are not born in a state of simplicity where we stay simple. And then we choose wisdom. And because we chose wisdom, then we go to heaven. Jesus says, I didn't come to condemn the world. He says in John chapter 3, the world is condemned already. Thus, everyone who is born in Adam, by default, will listen to Madam Folly. Romans chapter 1, as we studied Romans in the last few years, says, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. That is the status of everyone who breathes the air of sinful earth. In our natural state, that's us. We're bound up in folly. We are spiritually dead. We are unable to turn in to wisdom. And yet, we become willing parties to our own death. Now, for those who are in Christ, we have now been transferred from Adam to being in Christ. The truth is we are still being sanctified. And yet, we're still residing in corrupted, sinful bodies. I wish that weren't the case, but it is. And the reality is you and I are susceptible at any time to turn away from wisdom and to heed folly. Paul told the Ephesian church in Ephesians 5.15, he said, be very careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Why? Because the days we live in are evil. Every day there's an invite from Madam Folly, turn in here, exchange the truth for a lie, come and listen to this deceptive word. So how do we combat this? How do we fight this? I like what Charles Spurgeon suggested. He said, quote, a sense of our own folly is a great step towards being wise when it leads us to rely on the wisdom of the Lord, end quote. You see, this is a part of fearing the Lord. It's recognizing our own folly. It's recognizing how often we are, as we just sang, we are prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. How often do we lean towards sin and deception? How often do we listen to foolishness? This morning we realize that all who are born in Adam have joined folly. And yet in Christ, we now who have been made alive, we've been regenerated and we're being renewed. Now we can listen to Lady Wisdom and Lady Wisdom represents Christ. You see, Christ calls out in many ways that Lady Wisdom calls out. For example, she calls you to come drink of her wine. And we read in Revelation 22:17 by the Spirit who says, let the one who is thirsty come. 
Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. Lady Wisdom offers bread and wine that brings life. And Jesus in John 6 says, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, my blood is true drink. Lady Wisdom has built a house which is a symbol of the perfect and strong banquet house of Jesus that Hades cannot touch. And remember Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus, like Lady Wisdom, invites you to come and live. In John eleven twenty five 25 and 26, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. We read from Proverbs 8, it looked like wisdom was there at the beginning of the foundation of the world, and yet, was it just wisdom or was that a picture of Christ? You see, Proverbs chapter 8 sounds a lot like John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. You see, Lady Wisdom is a picture of Christ. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, he says Christ is the power of God and Christ is the wisdom of God. I want to ask a question that I don't want you to answer out loud. I said don't answer out loud. Here's the question. Are you a fool? If you're a fool this morning, I invite you to ascend the heights and look to Christ. Have you been led astray by folly? Listen to Christ and heed his invitation to come. I know you have. You've been led astray by the deceitfulness of sin, only to find yourself entrapped by her deadly snare. This morning, renounce your folly. Repent. Turn in faith to the one who would rescue you from death and grant you eternal life. There's, there's much shame in sinning, but there is no shame in repentance. Come this morning and repent. Christ is the wisdom of God. This morning, there may be some who have lived for many years in secret sin. You've bought into the lie that stolen water is sweet, that food eaten in secret is pleasant, and yet you may not have come to the end of your folly where the scripture says that sin will fully conceive lead to death. And I want to just, just announce to you, proclaim to you, exhort you, call you back from death and say to you this morning, repent. Receive life. Come and live. We don't deserve Christ who is the wisdom of God. But listen to these words from William Cooper as we close. He wrote some incredible hymns, and this hymn certainly is powerful. He says this, Before God had built the mountains or raised the fruitful hills, before he filled the fountains that feed the running rills, in me from everlasting, the wonderful I am, found pleasures never wasting, and wisdom is my name. When like a tent to dwell in, he spread the skies abroad and swathed about the swelling of ocean's mighty flood. He wrought by weight and measure, and I was with him then, myself the Father's pleasure, and mine the sons of men. Thus wisdom's words discover thy glory and thy grace, thou everlasting lover of our unworthy race. Thy gracious eye surveyed us before stars were seen above, in wisdom thou hast made us and died for us in love. 
And couldst thou be delighted with creatures such as we, who when we saw thee slighted and nailed thee to a tree? Unfathomable wonder and mystery divine, the voice that speaks in thunder says, Sinner, I am thine. This morning, you're invited, O sinner, to come, to eat, to feast, to drink, to have eternal life. You're invited to come to a meal that will cost you nothing, though it costs God's Son everything. This morning, would you receive Christ as Lord? Would you turn from your sin? For the believer here, the sinner who is also saint, would you heed wisdom's voice this morning as a voice of reason, as a voice of life, as a voice of stability? Would you turn back from your sin this morning, from your folly, and once again be renewed by being transformed in the renewing of your mind? Let's pray together. And then in just a moment we'll sing great song, Yet Not I, But Christ in Me. And the song reminds us that all of this, all this sanctifying work is only possible through the work of Christ by His Spirit in us. And so let's pray together. Father, we thank You this morning that the invitation is here. It's open to all. We know some will not receive it. Some will not heed it. It isn't enough to hear the Word, to hear wisdom, to hear Christ calling. We must not just be hearers. We must heed. We must be doers. We must listen and obey. And so, Lord, I pray that those who may be on the precipice of death, an untimely death, Lord, those who are about to face the, the fearsome consequences of your wrath, it may be in hell for eternity, it may be here on earth because the wages of sin is death. Lord, I pray that this morning they would heed the voice of wisdom, the voice of Christ that says, come, that invites, that beckons them in to turn from their sinful ways and receive life. Lord, I pray for eternal life. I pray that today is the day of salvation for anyone who's here who has not yet bent the knee of faith, who has not yet renounced their folly, renounced their sin, and fallen headlong upon the work of Jesus Christ on their behalf. We thank you that he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him, that Jesus is our substitute who died in our place, who was buried, who rose again for our redemption. Lord, I pray that you would do that work of death, burial, and resurrection in someone's heart this morning. For those of us who are in Christ, Lord, would you bring us back to a place of heeding wisdom because there is an enemy, there is folly, and she calls out as well. Lord, we thank you that all of this is possible. This work of sanctification is not in our own strength. Praise you, Lord. But Lord, as we do our part to seek you, to submit to you, to surrender to you, we thank you it's yet not I, but it's Christ in me. So Lord, as we close in this song of dedication, just remind us that you're the one truly doing the work from first to last. May we submit to you as we sing in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Shoreline Church meets every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. at the Port on Lena Road. You can get more content and more information by visiting thisisshoreline.com. If you have any questions or any prayer needs, please don't hesitate to email us at info at God bless you.